Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. Are you using the right mix of channels to get in front of your audience? Is your messaging personalized and delivered in a medium your audience responds to? Are you spending more time building reports than listening in on what your audience wants? These are not easy questions to answer. That's why our great friends at MDT Marketing are offering a free audit of your marketing efforts. Head to www.mdtmarketing.com edup and submit your information for your free consultation today. Look, guys, you got nothing to lose. It's free. I don't know why you wouldn't want a free audit to tell you what you're doing, whether it's effective, and how you can make some incremental changes that can make a big difference moving forward. That's www.mdtmarketing.com slash edup. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the EdUp Experience. We are America's leading education podcast network. And today I have co-hosting with me, Dr. Stacy Gonzalez. Hi, Stacy. How are you? Whoa, whoa, super excited to be here in the passenger seat today, riding along with you, Holly. And me too. I'm, I'm really glad when the gals can get together and empower each other. And we're going to take on this podcast and we're going to do wonderful things because we have a fantastic guest. We have Dr. Jermaine Worrell. He is the president of Augusta Technical College. So welcome, Dr. Worrell, to the EdUp Experience. How are you today? I'm doing fabulous. How about you? Oh, we're, we're, we're excited. We're always excited to talk to guests, especially presidents of institutions, because Stacey and I are both in education and we have so many questions that we want to ask you. So the first question is, we want to get your background. Tell us a little bit more about you and how you came to be where you're at, the president of Augusta Technical College. Well, I'll, I'll start quickly. Um, I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, uh, born and raised there. And uh, I'm a product of the technical college system. A quick story, uh, both my mother and my father both met at Trident Tech um, in Charleston. They met in a speech class in 1974. And uh, at so the time, cool. yeah, at the time, um, the instructor was Mary Thornley, who is currently the president at Trident Technical College. And she's been there for a number of years. And so really, I tell people jokingly, I was kind of birthed out of the technical college system. Um, but ever since that op- opportunity, with my parents meeting and me coming to be, uh, I've always played and had a role in education. Um, you know, I was able to participate in the first technical high school in Charleston County, uh, Gordon H. Academy of Technology. And it was a great experience for me to get in and do some hands-on learning and marketing and hospitality and had a great internship in Charleston that eventually led me into a university, of course. But more importantly, I did the associate's degree at Trident Tech and continued to pursue higher education. And when I graduated, really my goal was to go into banking. I had a degree in economics. I really wanted to get into banking. Um, however, that didn't work out. For whatever reason, I was overqualified at the time. Um, and I had a great friend that was working at a group DSS custody home 
And he said, hey, you know, I got this opportunity for you if, if you're interested. And I said, well, I don't have a background in education. I don't have a background in social work. I don't think I'm the right candidate. And he, you know, consistently persuaded me to apply, um, had a great interview, applied and met with the director. And he had this vision to create this education program for students that were in DSS custody in the group home that helped them to transition to military, college, or career. And that was really my uh, foray in education. Loved that job, worked on my MBA um, at night while working full time. And uh, I tell people secretly, I had hired a, a tutor at the time, Dr. Morris Roper. He was a retired uh, community college professor in California for 30 years. And he was tutoring the students in math. And every day he would ask me, have you thought about teaching at a two-year college? Have you thought about higher education? And I told him right. no. And every day he's bothering me. So I finished my MBA. I'm 23. Um, and at that point, I was convinced I want to do this for a living. Uh, got my first opportunity at East Georgia State College on the tenure track. And then the rest is history. I've been doing it ever since. And I absolutely love it. My, my trajectory has been instructor to dean, uh, two dean positions. Um, I've taught at in R2. Uh, and then finally got an opportunity to be a vice president in Greenville Tech, um, did both credit and non-credit as the VP. Uh, and then I re most recently accepted this position here in Augusta uh, in November of 2020. And I, I'm absolutely loving it. That's amazing. And I love your story. And technical college is a part of your history. It's a part of your family, um, you know, and it, it's really I'm, I'm so glad, first of all, that you're in South Carolina and you are a native and we don't find that's very rare, first of all, to find the natives because a lot of us come from the north and I came from Maryland. So it's awesome that you're a native of South Carolina. And also for our listeners who don't necessarily know, we, we talk to a lot of different college presidents and in, at different institutions. Can you explain to us a little bit what's the difference between like a regular institution, like a four-year university and a technical college so that our listeners can just, you know, kind of gauge what, what we're talking about here? Sure. So, you know, community colleges really started um, in terms of growth, really the 1950s, 1960s. There were several federal legislations that really promoted that. Um, if you look in the Southeast, specifically North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, uh, there was a lot of money that was allocated towards veterans being um, employable. Uh, you also had a growing and changing economy. Uh, many of the Southern states were moving from agrarian societies to more industrial. And so states were actively trying to recruit new industries to the region and the way to do that was to provide some type of short-term training, typically 90 days or less. And so there was a, a huge movement, not just in the South, but really in the, in the United States at that time to have more individuals pick up those middle um, skilled opportunities. And so technical colleges, whether you wanna call them technical colleges and or community colleges, uh, those words are kind of interchangeable depending, but it depends upon what state you're in. Um, we primarily focus on uh, three things. Uh, what we call terminal degree associate's degrees. So those are associates of applied science, AAS degrees. And what that simply means is that a student would come in and do 15 credits, typically of general education, and then the other 45 is in the content area. Um, we also provide transfer pathways. So students who want to get their first 60 credits, get an associate's of arts or associate's of science, and then they can transfer in as a junior to a four-year college. And then we offer a number of um, diploma certificates that are typically one or two semesters long that get you right into a field of um, study, whether that's healthcare, 
advanced manufacturing, engineering, IT, business. Uh, and those are primarily related to the local economy. So the majority of the technical colleges, they have a local perspective to serve their local region and to produce graduates that will feed right into the marketplace, primarily at an affordable rate um, with less um, barriers to access in terms of SAT, ACT requirements. Uh, and that's kind of the framework. So when you think about four-year colleges, historically, they have been liberal arts associated. You'll get two years of general education, and then your last two years is in a particular major of study, more from a residential perspective, uh, and it, obviously you'll produce a baccalaureate degree at the end. Um, those, you know, what we've struggled with in America is, you know, how do we ensure we have seamless pathways between students who want to have that technical training, but then want to pursue the baccalaureate, uh, and then vice versa. So um, that's what I would tell people, which are really the differences. Again, a lot of two-year colleges primarily are commuter-based. Uh, some do have, um, you know, athletics, they do have residential, but most are really focused on that middle-aged student, 26 or older, have experienced some life, want to come back and get a transferable skill. We have, of course, in the nation seeing a major uptick in dual enrollment. So a lot of high school kids are getting their initial start at a two-year college with the idea that they're going to continue on and pursue a baccalaureate degree. Um, but really, we're not research-oriented, we're teaching-oriented. We're practitioner-based, uh, and we're focused on access and success. That's some wonderful stuff. Um, and, you know, I learned a little bit more about a technical college, uh, you, know, you know, just from being in the area that I'm in, in South Carolina, and also, you know, how much support that they give. Or like you're saying, they go straight from the institution to the jobs that are available um, within the community. So that's great. Stacy, what are you thinking? Yeah, I'm thinking technical colleges, community colleges are the secret sauce. It is the most underrated, underutilized, um, under un, underexpected resource that that in our communities that we have. I know I, I I'm you know an educator. I value obviously I value education. Here I am. I've got a 20 and an 18 year old, and actually I had. Um, our, one of our, our main hosts, uh, Joe, meet with my daughter because she is so mad at me. She she decided to graduate early. I've got her at our community college. I will Isn't not that let normal for teenagers to <laughs> be mad at their parents. I think that's normal. <laughs> Uh, she's just mad when I breathe. Like I, uh. you know, I, you know, I cannot even breathe without her being angry or annoyed with me. But um, I do think there's something to be said and I, because I told her she's not going to afford you. She's not ready. Her, we know the brain research. Her brain's not fully developed. And uh, th this idea of what you said, where if you want to go that bad, you will have this this transferable degree, you will be able to transfer in anywhere you want as a junior and she doesn't know what she wants. So, or she thinks she knows, you know, so all that, anyways, all that to say, I think you're, what you do and, and the way you're doing it is, is right on. And I hope there's a way that we can continue to promote this work because it's, it's important. I no, I agree. And I would simply add to, you know, from the other side of that, what I didn't spend a lot of time on in this, you talk about the secret sauce probably one of the most hidden um, elements of two-year colleges do is really that coordination with their local economic development authority. Um, every place I've worked at two-year college, we had a direct connect. Uh, so I'll give you some specific examples. If you look at um, the city of Atlanta, 
uh, in Atlanta about four or five years ago, they recruited Mercedes-Benz to downtown Atlanta as their headquarters. But what you may not have known was that the technical college system of Georgia was at the front gate of helping them recruit to Atlanta, uh, primarily because what occurs, anytime a company is looking to move into a marketplace, uh, not only does the Economic Development Authority president or CEO meet with those executives, but they always call in the president of the local technical college, primarily to say, if you come to our community, the technical college will be working side by side to ensure you have either soft landing space so that your executives can work until you build a, a location. Um, we'll also be there to do the upfront, upfront excuse me, training for your initial employees. Uh, and we'll also provide customized training solutions for you through the life of your uh, time within the region. And I can tell you my experiences in Greenville and here in Augusta, I can be on typically anywhere between 10 to 30 visits a year, just meeting with executives, literally helping to recruit them to the area. And then we also um, help our current incumbent workforce. So executives that have issues now in the workplace, whether that's training needs for the workers, or if they need Microsoft Excel training or leadership training or Lean Six Sigma, we can go in and we provide that. And that's important because it keeps their local talent up to par um, so that they can compete in the global marketplace. So th those are the other pieces that I think people don't know that we're very, very involved in um, that plays a major role in the ecosystem within a local um, economy. That's so awesome because I was just talking to somebody today about how higher education and not the technical college are the exception to this. They, there's, not a, there's a huge gap between getting out of post-secondary education into the career you know, the career space, and you are literally working directly with them. So there's no like question about the transition or what to do. They're getting the internships or they're getting the jobs and they're getting the on the job training, the resources they need, the skills they need to be successful in that position. So technical colleges, you're right, they're secret sauce. And they're like, you know, why aren't more people looking here for what they're doing and taking some of this for those other four-year institutions, not that they're bad, and, and taking some of that and putting into practice there instead of having these, you know, these large gaps. So I see on your site, you have a lot of different students that you serve. So you have the, the regular students, um, you know, like you're talking about the 26 and non-traditional students, you have the military, the dual enrollment and adult education. So I wanna talk a little bit about the dual enrollment because I know it's important for high school students to get a feel for what higher education is like. So give us an idea of what you do there with the dual enrollment students. Sure. You know, dual enrollment um, has really blossomed, I think, nationwide probably over the last decade. It's obviously for most two-year colleges, it's the fastest growing student population on our campus. And when you look at our average age, it's going down because of dual enrollment. Uh, over the last year here at Augusta Tech, you know, we had served up to 600 students in dual enrollment within our five-county region. Um, and it continues to blossom. We had a little bit of a decline because of COVID in this fiscal year, but we were on the uptick pretty much every year, adding anywhere between 100 to 200 students at a time. And I think from a parent's perspective, they're seeing it as a great opportunity to get higher education opportunities for their students at, again, at a quality institution that's regionally accredited, which is big, because that's the only way those credits are transfer. They're getting it at a very reduced cost. Um, so the you know, tuition is affordable. Most states have some type of um, scholarship um, state support that will you know, either discount the tuition 
are basically cut it in half or pay for it holistically. Some communities, they built promise programs that, you know, if you stay within the community, uh, the county will offset your dual enrollment expense. So it just depends. Um, but I think parents are seeing the benefit of that. And I think we've done a better job explaining that this is a great pathway for those who are pursuing college to go ahead and get college um, credits on a transcript. Because, you know, we still um, debate and people still debate, you know, the difference between should you take AP versus dual? You know, should you do IB? And they're all great. It just depends upon the right. student and what they want to do. But we know for a fact that if you do dual, there is no debating that that A that you make in, you know, college algebra, it will transfer um, because you're coming from a regional institution. You know, if you make a three on the college algebra exam, you might go to an institution that might require four. Exactly. And so therefore you don't get, you don't get the credit. And, and those are the, the subliminal things that um, we all, when I mean we, I'm talking to school district counselors, higher ed, we all have to do a better job of just explaining the parents and not specifically pigeonholing a student into one specific option, but just informing them and letting them make the best decision for them. But I think dual is not going away. If anything, it's definitely opened uh, more opportunities for students who possibly could not have done dual enrollment or get into co college. And it also helps strengthen the confidence to say, wow, you know, I can do this. I made an ARB in that English, you know, 1101 class. I feel like I can continue on and be successful, especially for those first generation students. So I, I see it as a great opportunity for us to continue to expand higher education. Um, and then more, more importantly, um, helping us to get to completers because we know when students typically walk away with some type of short-term credential or if they get 20 to 30 credit hours under their belt, they're more than likely to want to, to finish that out um, and they'll have that, that leeway to do so. I'd like to, I'd like to pop in, Holly, if that's okay. I've got, a, I've got a dual enrollment, dual credit for Dr. Worrell, and I'm hoping that you can help me on, on some of this and our listeners kind of maybe break down some barriers. I'm a, I'm a high school administrator. I work very closely. We, we have 8,000 high school students, close partnership with our community college. I'm in Illinois. So, so just take into account the politics there, right? I, right. <laughs> we know. It all but, sounds very fun. Uh, very the the level of bureaucracy. <laughs> oh gosh. But so, so Dr. World knows exactly probably where I'm going to go with this. I know. I, I have tried. I have tried. I promise you. I promise you. I have tried to build a two, one by three, a two by two, a finish finish high school with an associate's degree, and the amount of red tape. We don't approve this. Um, you can't do that. We can't build a pathway program for even just in teaching, which we know we have a teaching shortage. shortage. And, and, you know, the amount of just a, a person like me, who's, who's altruistic on the front lines, trying to make opportunities for our kids that have, that I've come against to not be able to, to move that needle in any substantive way has been really, really challenging and, and frankly frustrating. So I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about how to, to th those political barriers and how to kind of move that and what you've seen is successful. Yeah, you know, I, and I, I could tell you every community, like you mentioned, is very different. Every state obviously is very different. And it boils down to a few things. And, and really, well, I'll just boil it down to one thing. It really comes down to leadership. Um, 
you know, I, all my examples I'll give you relates to leadership and having leaders that understand the comprehensiveness to what dual enrollment can do, not only for their local community, but also for their state. Um, but I, I think it also parallels to ensuring that uh, it always comes down to territory and funding. Those two things always play a role in all decision-making. And the state obviously is looking at, if we make this level of investment, if we're paying for K through 12, you know, I'll just give an example. So if you're a K through 12 teacher and we're paying you, you, know, you to teach English for seniors, and then you have on the college side, you know, the community colleges over there offering English, you know, one-on-one as dual credit. Sometimes the politicians will say, well, why am I paying for the English teacher if the English person is not going to teach the classes and all those higher, higher level students are going to take, to take that class at the college? That seems like it's a cost savings to the school district because they're not having to pay for that time or it could be vice versa. The college could be sending somebody to the high school to teach um, during a, you know, a block and they're looking at the funding and saying, well, are we subsidizing the school district by sending a faculty from the college to go teach? So a lot of that gets into the minutia of the funding and who owns the FTE, the pupil uh, count, uh -huh. um, which, which really has nothing to do with the, the macro part of the business. But unfortunately, that's where it really gets bogged down to the ownership of the student, who's going to get the credit, who's going to get funded for it. And if the school district is going to outsource dual enrollment, then should we do we have the need for all these high school teachers if the, college, the community college is basically going to be teaching the bulk of those students in their senior or junior year? So I, I've heard both sides. I've worked in communities that we've had to work that out. And when I, when I went back to my original answer of leadership, I think it goes back to having alignment in terms of what it is that the community is trying to achieve. Most of the time, it's about retaining those students. Number one, giving the students the best programming, you know, available, and then number two, retaining those students within your local community. So if you can, you know, educate talent, you can give them opportunities in the local community. They're more likely to stay, and then the politicians are more likely to create policies and/or funding to promote that. But if they see something that, well, you got a dual enrollment program great, the students are getting this, but then they're going to say to Michigan and you're outsourcing all that talent, then they're gonna be much more um, stricter on what it is you do, how you do it, why should we fund this? Or should we just completely eliminate that because they're looking at where talent is going. And again, most states and most communities, they wanna be able to, you know, to say, hey, we're doing dual enrollment and 85% of the students that do this, they stay within our local economy, they stay within the state, they give back, you know, we're, we're seeing positive outcomes. And if that's not occurring, uh, then that's when you start seeing more and more cuts for higher education and or K through 12, because those outcomes aren't aligned with what the political agenda may look like. That's a long answer to your question. <laughs> no, but, but it's I, a good I, answer. I, I it hope is. that gives you some insights on at least what I've experienced. Again, I know Illinois, you know, the challenges there in higher ed. Um, I know about Arizona basically cut their entire, you know, higher education funding for community colleges. So every state looks a little differently, but that's generally what people struggle with on the initial out, outbreak. Well, and I appreciate that. I, I Thank you. Thank you for that. And I appreciate where you started, which was leadership, which to, to you, I, we can already tell, Holly, I know I can tell that Dr. Worrell here is coming with strong leadership. Mm -hmm. He's he's laying it down. He's got a vision. So, so I, I just want to stop for a moment to appreciate and acknowledge that. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. You. Because you, just you talking about the, the local community and what that does for the institution, I think that larger institutions and no offense to them, but they, you know, the community surrounds them. And then technical college, it feels like the college itself surrounds the community. And I think that's the, that's the big difference because, you know, you go to college towns and, um, you know, the college is the center, but here it's, it's, it's like a, a give and take. Um, you know, they're coming back and they're, they're working in the local community. So I, I absolutely love that. And I, like I said, again, I wish I would have went to either technical college or community college for two years, just to get my feet wet a little bit with higher education. So next I want to step into and talk about what are some of the support services that you offer your students um, when, the, when they're coming in or what are some of the, the common challenges that your students experience and, and how do you help them overcome those? If you're experiencing any level of marketing challenge right now, you've got to ask the hard questions and you need answers. Are you using the right mix of channels to get in front of your future students? Is your messaging personalized and delivered in a medium your audience and future students will respond to? And are you spending more time building reporting than listening in on what your students really want? All of these questions will get answered when you sign up for your free consultation with MDT Marketing. Head to mdtmarketing.com slash edup, submit your information, and talk to MDT. Don't go it alone. Find the right partner. The guys at MDT... The team in MDT is absolutely amazing. Whether it, your challenge is the cost of inquiries, your melt, your branding, the bad and incomplete information that come with your inquiries, whatever it is, an audit of your challenges will help your institution and it's free. mdtmarketing.com slash add up. Partnerships, partnerships, partnerships. Where do we begin? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we're, we're in the business of collaboration and I always tell people, Whoever coined were community colleges, you know, the first one was in, actually in Illinois <laughs> in the early 1900s. Um, it, they, they rung the bell perfectly um, because ultimately, like any other institution, we're limited on resources. So we only have so much staff, you know, capabilities. We only have so many faculty members. And what we're finding is more diverse global issues for our students, you know, whether that's housing um, issues, homelessness, uh, food insecurity, um, clothing. Uh, we're, we're running into, and COVID quite honestly has exacerbated that. We've always knew that our students in general have those issues when they come up, but life has really been exacerbated uh, because of COVID and so many people are affected at the, at the root level. Um, just give you an example here in Augusta, you know, when the economy shut down, I mean, about 11,000 people got affected overnight, just boom. Um, 4,000 of them were in the hospitality tourism because the hotels that need them, the restaurants that need them, you know, and things are now picking up a year later. But what do you do with that mass loss? You know, if you don't have yeah, a, if you don't so have big. a, um, it's so big. It's and so big. And so, yes, they want to retool, they want to come to us to get some skills that they can now maybe move into IT or healthcare. Um, but they still have to eat every day. <laughs> they still have to pay their bills. And so what we've tried to do in terms of student support services is not just look at it, what I would say from the traditional model of, yes, we have an admissions department, recruiting department, financial aid. We have those services and we've obviously flexed um, to virtual and, and all those other things to make us more uh, amenable to students. But more importantly, our outreach 
ensuring students had basic needs. We've partnered, uh, we got a lot of grant funding um, from either Bank of America. We had Wells Fargo give us some money. Our community foundation partnered to help us with, um, you know, with laptops. Uh, we got involved with the United Way that had access to, um, you know, vouchers for transportation. So, you know, we, we had to start really blossoming our partnerships and leveraging other community agencies to say, hey, you know, we have 4,000 students on our campuses that are really struggling with life. We're going to help them, but we need your assistance to, to provide those resources that we can't do. And that word wraparound services, I think, is so um, important to our work because ultimately student success can't happen without life success. You got to have those basic necessities. And the more we can kind of help cultivate that, people then can refocus their energy on getting the academics because we do want them to finish across, you know, the finish line. But more importantly, we still want them to have a good life. And, and one of the things that I brought here to Augusta Tech in my short tenure, you know, there's a lot of things we're going to focus on as a college. But the number one thing that we, we will spend our energy on is social mobility and equity. Um, that, that is really what we're ingrained in here because we already had high poverty levels. We already had un underemployment and unemployment. Um, we had a, a lot of our in individuals not participating in the labor force and that was pre-COVID. So COVID has again made things worse. And so the college we're, look we're looked at to say, yes, we have programs, we can do training, but we have to be much more inclusive in terms of what it is we do, what services we provide and ensure we partner with the appropriate agencies to make that happen. I'm so glad to hear that your students got the support they need despite the challenges of COVID and that those companies were able to donate resources for you. I think in a lot of cases that didn't happen. And it's, it's very tragic, you know, some of the things that people had to deal with. Um, you know, I teach a graduate, graduate level courses at another institution. And some of my students were like, I can't get on the internet because I can't pay my internet bill. Right. I'm just like, you know, I, it, and you can't go to the library because the library is closed because it's COVID. So it's wonderful that that was able to, you were able to take those resources and help your students. And thank you so much for doing that and being like a change maker and that and making sure the students feel supported. Like you said, if you don't feel comfortable in life, you don't have the, the bandwidth in your mind to learn. You don't have the space for it. You're too busy worrying about survival and, and getting what you need or getting your kids what they need. And that's it. You can't, you can't even focus on actual learning. What do you think, Stacy? I think that is a hundred percent. It is so right now we are in such a time where the, just the toll that our students have taken, the amount of stress that they've been under. And, and I think we underestimate like what you're saying, the, the resources you brought in, the partnerships you built. When you said that you meet with 10 to 20 executives to bring executives into the community to build up your local economy. I, I don't think we can underestimate those things. And I, I wish that more of us um, and more places, you know, I, I'm just listening. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm jelly. I am so jealous that, <laughs> that we don't have here. And that it, it almost seems like I, you know, we need the, the strong leadership and the change makers like you to, to bring us to, to some of these, I don't even know if this is 21st century thinking, to be honest, right? This is like basic. This is normal human thinking, like right? humans, right. and we have basic needs. This is <laughs> Maslow's hierarchy of needs or, you know, that's, that's yep. what we're talking about here. 
Yeah, I, I'm about to come move move myself right now. Pack up my mom minivan. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to Hilton Head next week, so so you better be careful. I might just find my way over to to the both of oh, you. Oh and... <laughs> Well, I was just curious, Stacy. How many pages of notes have you taken? So far, I'm up to four. Okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> Stacy takes notes during every podcast. I am. Yeah. So I, I'll I, steal Stacy's yes. notes later um, <laughs> from each of the podcasts that we've hosted. And Dr. Roll, I just want to say, um, I feel, you know, humbled to be in the presence of you and your experience and what you've done. You said you had a, you've had a short tenure there and I'm sure that the community that's surrounding you, they're just like, they're amazed by what can be done when you form these partnerships and collaborations. Um, and I want to, I, I do have another question for you. I want to ask about, um, so we live in the South, Stacy's in the North with all the cold. Um, and my grandparents, they're, they're eighties, they're in their eighties. So th- they ha- they need a lot of things done to their house. Their house is like, you know, 20 or so years old. They retired down here when I was 15. And recently like things started happening, like, you know, HVAC, um, you know, electrician, all that stuff. And the workforce, these technical colleges are so important to replace those workers. I think I talked to somebody in the average age, the person is 65. That's the average. That's crazy. So what are you doing in terms of that workforce and continuing education development to help, you know, these people are so necessary. Like my grandparents had to wait like a week for something to get fixed. And my grandfather's not very patient at 80. Um, so we need those people like they're, they're leaving, they're retiring, but they're not being replaced. So what are you doing at your college to help with that? No, it's, it's, it's a, um, it's a pressing concern, not just locally, but nationwide. You know, we actually had a, uh, a luncheon last week with our local chamber of commerce and they did a presentation on workforce and they asked, uh, we had a little poll and they asked, uh, the audience, what they thought was the fastest growing industry within our region. And everybody, again, being in Augusta, everybody thought cyber, which is hot for us right now, um, healthcare, because we're in the middle of the a regional um, statewide uh, medical um, area. And it was construction. Um, you know, <laughs> construction over the past five years, I mean, has just grown dramatically. Oh my God. There's all a new development like every five minutes here. It yes. literally is. And, and But the challenge with that is they can't find your laborers. You can't find the carpenters. You can't find plumbers. You can't find masons, um, all the folks that do those skilled trades. And, and I will tell you, they get paid very handsomely. Um, yes. So the, the challenge to your point is where is the pipeline? And so what we've done here at Augusta, again, you know, with my very short tenure, uh, we partnered with a third party agency that was doing great work in Metro Atlanta, uh, they're called SEFCA. And the city of Augusta has a new city administrator and he, myself and the mayor talked about, hey, we gotta really do something out of the box related to construction because we got all of these buildings going up and you know we, we got repair needs, uh, we can't find local talents, we have to develop it. We know we have to develop a K through 12 pathway. That's something that we're working on in school districts, but immediately like right now, what can we do? And so SEFCA uh, in partnership with us in the city, we're gonna be housing them on our campus. They provide a 20 day, and I hate the word boot camp, but it's a 20 day boot camp um, with an individual with any background, they have to basically pass a drug test and they have to be 18. 
uh, and, if, and they have to be able to lift 50 pounds. If they can do those three things, they can come into a free program that's only 20 days long and it will produce, they'll come out after 20 days with I believe eight national credentials. Um, some are like OSHA 10. So they'll get all those basics and they will have at the, on the 20th day, they will have a career fair with all of our major employers um, in the industry. And so they will be employed on their graduation date right into field. The following week, we'll start the next cohort. So for every 20 days, we're gonna be having a cohort somewhere between 20 to 30 people that will be coming in, getting those credentials and getting employed every 20 days. And that will help us to meet an emergent need that, that we have for HVAC and again, carpenters and just those basic folks. And what we built with the college, we do have you know an associate's degree and diploma programs so they can continue on. But here's the, here's the, the kicker. The employer is gonna pay for their continuing education. So the, wow. 20 days, the 20 days is already free. Mm -hmm. They nice. get a job and now the construction company is saying, hey, I'm gonna send you back to get your diploma in HVAC. And in return, you continue to work with me. I can put you on a journeyman. I can put you on an apprenticeship. And I think that's that the approach that we, we have need. to take. Because, you know, because folks who want to get in it, the barrier is time and cost. So we wanted to have something very short term. 20 days isn't too long of an investment. It's absolutely free. You're going to be on a college campus. You're going to have interviews basically lined up for you and you're going to get placed. All you have to do is just commit to doing the program. You're going to have, and you're going to come out making anywhere between 15 to $20 an hour. So that's fantastic. And that's great for the South. <laughs> and that's, and that's what we have to scale across the state, across the region. I think people are willing to do that. And the more we can provide those opportunities, we can get that workforce that your grandfather's looking for. Well, yeah. and I'm going to add, I'm going to add across the state, across the region, across the nation. Because going back to that, we need bold leaders, we need courageous individuals who have the vision. And regardless of your tenure or how long you've been there, I'm going to say this again, it doesn't matter. We need the right leaders for the right time doing the right work. And, and certainly you are embodying that. So, so again, you know, I know I'm saying it a, a lot, but hear it, hear it for our audience. This is the right work for us to really move the needle in, in, in not only our economy, but to Tali, to your point in the human work that we need to do. Absolutely. Stacy. And, you know, I, I can't thank you enough to Dr. Rural for what you're doing for the the community and this, you know, in South Carolina and people need to listen to this, like we're saying, and, and, and put stuff into place in their own communities. Um, and, and wrapping things up a bit, Stacy and I have two final questions for you. And I'm sure, and I say this with all my podcast guests, I'm like, we could talk all day about this stuff and what we could change and what we could do. It's like a nice little committee getting together and figure out all these different avenues we can take. And I've loved all that you shared here, but our final two questions really entail, did we forget anything? Did you forget to share something? Did we forget to ask you something? Is there anything else you want our audience to know about you or Augusta Technical College? And then the final question is, what do you see as the future of higher education? Where is higher education going? What do you see in the next 10 to 20 years for higher education? So go for it. What do you think? Well, that's, you know, I think for all of us in higher ed, um, we know that we have to shift and I'll, I'll phrase it from this. The student population in America has shifted. We've gone from a time of what I call data retention to now data acquisition. 
So as an example, you know, when I went to school, uh, elementary school, middle school, it was a lot about memorizing facts and recalling. So, you know, you were in third grade and you had to learn all of the 50 states, you had to learn all the presidents and you had to recall it. Well, if you ask my son to recall all the states, you'll say, why? Google, what's the capital of Georgia? And so the students are different. They don't want to retain facts. They want to be able just to go acquire it and then do something with it. And so the higher education model, I think in the future is gonna be more on the acquisition of knowledge and the application of knowledge compared to the retention. And that, that's a phenomenon that's gonna to have to change both our faculty, the way we teach, the way we do projects. And we've been slowly migrating into that, you know, from, from a teaching perspective and a research perspective into more applied research, into more application-based projects, hands-on. That's really the sweet spot for technical colleges because that's really what we were built upon. But I see higher ed having to move in that. Uh, the second wave that I, I think it's coming and you know, I think years ago um, when we had MOOCs and other things that were really kind of bleeding into the marketplace, I think there will still be a marketplace for um, short-term certifications, uh, micro-credentials, badges, those things have, they do have weight specifically in the You're corporate Speaking sector. my language, I'm an and, ed tech person, I love yeah, this stuff. So we, we have to embrace that and not fight against it because it's not going anywhere. It may look different, um, but just knowing that, uh, you know, again, from a, from a pedagogy standpoint, from a practical standpoint, if you actually look at where people gain knowledge now, it's actually through Google and YouTube. So most people, when they do their own learning, they're just learning on YouTube videos, so that, that's, that's illustrating that the model in higher ed is going to have to look different to, to equate to what people are going to be accustomed to now and into the future. So I see that really exploding. Graduate education, I think, has been increasing every year um, over the last decade. I see people continuously wanting to have, you know, those additional degrees to differentiate themselves. But what I will see as well, and I think this is where America is, uh, we will have to eventually get back to having folks getting back into technical education um, because the divide um, between those who are those, those skilled technicians and the gap for those who are retiring or just attrition um, is getting so wide that the pay uh, is, I believe, is going to start attracting people to come in. And we're seeing that now, folks that have a bachelor's degree maybe in philosophy coming back and picking up a certification in cyber technology or C++ programming or picking up an accounting, um, you know, certificate, we're getting a lot more baccalaureate degree students coming to the technical college to pick up a skill. And so what I would like to see in the future and something for us to think about in higher ed is how do we have, you know, we do dual degrees in higher ed specifically at the university level. You know, you can pick up a dual degree in biology and accounting. I would love to see, you know, a technical college do a dual degree with a four-year institution. As an example, you might be a biology major on the pre-med track, but you might not get into med school. So why not also be duly enrolled in a respiratory therapy program at your local there technical you college? Pick yes. up your biology and your rad tech at the same time. You have employable skills that you can go to work. You have your four-year degree already in place, which can move you into a managerial role faster. So I, I think just being more creative in that because we really haven't seen integration between two-year colleges and four-year colleges in that nature. That's something that I think we need to trend towards. And then lastly, 
from a national perspective, and I had this great experience in Greenville, and I know I'm in Georgia now, but we partnered a lot um, with Greenville Tech and Clemson, um, integration of education. So having the master's PhD engineering student working with the associate's degree technician in a simulated environment. And what, why does that matter? Well, they both will end up working for a company. And at that point, they've already had been co-trained to work with the technician and their process uh, of a simulation to industry is much more seamless. I see the same thing of having the medical doctors be much more integrated with the you know, certified medical assistants or your CNAs or your RNs, um, more of an integrated healthcare educational approach instead of teaching people in a siloed effect now. And so I think if we can do those things on a global scale, our workforces will be better off, um, our seamless transitions to education and to um, pathways into employment will be much more seamless. Uh, and then we both will the game. We would still have that connection between the two-year space and the four-year space, but more global opportunities for everybody. That was amazing what you just said, and I just hung on every word. And I think that's so true that we all need to partner with each other and realize that this, that, you know, I think the one track mind of like, I'm going to go to school, I'm going to be a doctor, that's fine. But, you know, life isn't one track. It's very windy. Mm -hmm. So having that opportunity to do something else that you're still passionate about within that field is something to think about. So thank you so much. Stacy. you have any final thoughts or questions for Dr. World before we wrap up? No, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was, it was really um, a, a enlightening and, and you're doing some great work. So keep it up. Well, yes. thank you all for this, this opportunity. And um, I really appreciate allowing me to kind of tell my story. You know, I would say that Augusta Tech is, um, you know, been in this region for 60 years. We're celebrating our 60th anniversary. Happy anniversary. Um, so we're excited about that. We have world-class programs in allied health and nursing and business and IT. Uh, we consider ourselves to be the leader in cyber education, uh, quite honestly, in the nation and with what we're doing here. Uh, and of course, engineering technology and all the other programs of study that we have. So we're in a very great, um, promising uh, area. And, and again, I really appreciate the time that you all have provided me today. Of course. And we appreciate you. And there you have it, folks. That is Dr. Jermaine Whirl from Augusta Technical College in Georgia. Thank you so much for your time and coming on the EdUp Experience. Hey, everybody. We hope you enjoyed that episode of the EdUp Experience. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit our website at www.edupexperience.com and subscribe to our email list. Please share this podcast, head over to Apple, and please give us a rating and review. We appreciate your feedback. And of course, subscribe to the EdUp Experience so you're notified when our episodes drop. Here at the EdUp Experience, our goal is to make education your business. Thanks for listening.